again. Boy, that was great, wasn't it? Man, that praise team just rocked it this morning. Goodness gracious. Good stuff. Thank you again for being a part of our service this morning. Uh, we're continuing a, a message series. We started a good while back and still have a few uh, weeks left ahead, and it's called What Every Christian Ought to Know. And, you know, I mean, we're not covering every single thing that we ought to know, but we're covering a lot of them and the real important ones. And so I feel like that during this message series, we have been learning and growing in a lot of spiritual truth. And my faith is growing, I think, and getting a little bit stronger. Can you guys relate to that during the midst of this series? So it's been really cool. Last week, Ed was talking about what every Christian ought to know about what we refer to as the person of Jesus Christ, or basically, who is Jesus. Continuing somewhat in that direction, today the conversation is about what every Christian ought to know about the work of Christ. Another way to say that is to phrase it in a question that we're hoping to answer today. And the question is, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? And uh, all of you hopefully received some insert note, like, like the uh, information guide uh, when you came in today. And in the information guide is a place where you can take notes. And also, I want to just mention or remind you that on the back side of the notes insert is a thing we call table talk. And what we suggest is that you take this sheet of paper home with you and you use this as a way to sort of process and maybe discuss the, the message, the teaching that took place on Sunday. And so in the table talk notes this week, there is a, uh, there's a, a really cool list of uh, different verses that you can follow up and read. I think it might be helpful to you. And one of the things that's on the table talk is actually kind of a discussion or an idea about not just what did Jesus do, but what is Jesus still doing? There's some really cool verses about what Christ is doing as we speak right now uh, in, in, his, uh, in his role in, in our faith and, and in our relationship uh, to, to God. So it's really cool. I hope you'll take advantage of that. But we're going to be talking today about what did Jesus do? And we could all make a, a list, probably, of, of what we can remember from Bible stories or Sunday school, if you grew up in, you know, in church or something like that. And we could say, well, Jesus did a lot of things. I know he healed people. He did these teachings. He taught the golden rule. He taught, you know, a, a lot of important stuff. He was very nice to children, um, walked on the water, you know, he, he'll make blind people see, you know, stuff like that. And, and that's awesome. That's, that's important stuff. But what we're going to do today is we're going to narrow the focus to something that we find in one of the New Testament writings of the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul is a big deal, major player in the first century church. In one of his writings to the ancient Christians in, uh, in Corinth, the ancient city of Corinth, he writes and he says something really interesting about the work of Christ or about what Jesus did. And so we're going to look at that real quick. You'll find that in your notes and also on the screen. The verse that we're going to look at 
is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 5. And the Apostle Paul says in this, uh, in this passage, he says, I passed on to you what had also been passed on to me. And here's what he passed on to us. He said, he said I, and, and remember it says he passed on what was most important. So he's saying this is the big deal stuff here. That Christ died for our sins just as the scripture said. And in verse 4, he says he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day just as the scripture said. So in this passage, Paul is saying that Jesus is the most important things that we need to keep in mind that Jesus did is that he died on the cross and then he rose from the dead. When Jesus came to this earth, he had great purpose. When Christ came to this earth, which we celebrate at Christmas time, which is in a month and a half we'll be celebrating, according to some stores, <laughs> you start now, which I have a problem with, but that's a discussion for another time. But when, when Christ came to the earth, and Ed talked a lot about this last, he came to earth, and we celebrate that beautiful powerful, important thing every Christmas. He, he came with great purpose. But we're going to use these, these passages we just read and these two things that, that Paul talks about, his death on the cross and his resurrection, we're going to use that as like a roadmap for this discussion. Now, if you are younger, when I say roadmap, what I mean is there was a time in our distant past that we had to print maps on paper and 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 you had to buy them in a store in a store you know like they were in booklets and in really confusing little packets that unfolded and you never knew where you were and that's what a road map was I'm sorry i know it's hard to imagine it was a very difficult time there was no caller id you know there was licking of stamps i don't know how we survived but we did we we're here so but as a guideline for our, our conversation, we're going to focus on what Paul says is the most important. The most important things that Christ died for our sins and that he rose from the dead. And so we're going to talk about what Jesus did. And there's, this is going to connect. I think it's going to be a connecting thread to a number of the messages that have been a part of this Every Christian Ought to Know series. So I encourage you, either on the My Church app or at mychurchcolumbus.com, go and check out some of the messages uh, because they've been awesome. And they all, as you can imagine, start to weave together a little bit. In order to pick apart what it was that Jesus did, we're going to ask a few questions. And the first question that we're going to ask is, why did Christ need to do what he did? Why did Christ need to do what he did. In other words, sometimes we might ponder and wonder, but was it, was it really necessary? Was this the only way to do it? In other words, the, the, uh, the dying on the cross thing, the raising from the dead thing, was that the absolute necessity? Was that the only way to go about it? So let's, let's talk about that. The, really, the most straight up front explanation of why it was indeed necessary for Christ to do what he did in the way, in the way that he did it 
we find this in another one of the Apostle Paul's writings in the book of Romans. In this letter of teaching and instruction to the Christians in the city of Rome, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, he put it very simply and very bluntly. He said, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Everyone has sinned and we all have fallen short. We have all sinned. Sin, simply put, is actions or attitudes that pull us away from God's prescribed and commanded way of life for His children. Sin is actions, is is something that we do or don't do, or attitudes that we hold in our heart that draw us farther from God's plan and His prescribed commands for our life. That is simply, and we all have sinned, and so we have fallen short of this standard. Sin is not, is not a, a small thing. It's not a light thing. It's heavy, and it's dark, and God hates sin. God doesn't hate people, but God hates sin, and He hates what sin does to people. We like to say it around here, that sin does not make us bad people. Sin makes us dead people. Sin kills things. Sin makes us spiritually dead. And so this is where, this is where God looks and sees a fallen, sinful world. And He sees mankind has fallen and has sinned and will always fall short of His standard. And He hates what that sin is doing to His creation. And so he has to figure out, he has to find a way to rescue us. Now, with that in mind, I'm going to pause. I want to talk to you about the Bible for just a second. Now, I don't know, there's this great author that I, I, I read a book of hers recently. And her, her name is Sandra Richter. I didn't want to forget her name, so I jotted that down. And, and she, she says this really cool thing that I'm totally buying into. She says that the Bible... And under, reading the Bible, understanding the Bible, hoping the Bible can have an impact on your life. The Bible is a lot like a dysfunctional closet. Does anybody have a dysfunctional closet in your life? You know, and so it's this closet where there's a lot of stuff in there. And it's all good, all good stuff. But you're not really sure how to get to everything. You can't even remember everything that's actually in there. You don't know how it all fits. And so at some point, you know, we, we kind of pick and choose and we get stuff if we can, but we close the door really quick and we walk away saying, one day we'll work it all out. Reading the Bible is like that kind of closet. I mean, there's all kind of stuff in there. And you know it's good and you're pretty sure most of it's important. Something appears to be at stake. I don't know. You know, a lot of stuff. And we can pick and choose a few things. And we'll grab a little David and Goliath here. And we'll, and we'll grab a little uh, Jesus Feet of 5,000 here. And a little Bible app verse of the day here. But we don't want to dig too deep into it for fear that something we're not ready for is going to fall out. You know, so we keep the door closed and just figure it's going to work out somehow. So... 
the Bible can be intimidating that way. Or it can, it can be for me, and maybe you can relate to that. So this author, Sandra Richter, she, she said that it, one of the best things to do it is when it comes to thinking about the Bible is to consider the overarching, the long story arc of the Bible. And that that's a good starting place. And then the details and the deep dives can, uh, can be super helpful and really affirm everything for you. But the idea is to see the, the, the long story arc. And I'm telling you, the long story arc, let me, let me just say, this book, if we could say it this way, this book was cast upon the waters of history for one primary purpose and super important critical purpose and that is to tell the tale of God's epic quest to ransom his creation back to him that is that's the overarching story that's what this is about is that God is on a mission to win us back to him that's what that's what the when we read the Bible and we study the Bible and we start learning these things that Christian ought, Christians ought to know, this is what we start to see. And that's, that's really cool, that God is all about rescuing us from what sin has done. It's because we've all fallen short. And we, we have all sinned. Now, why the cross? Why the whole... Why the whole Jesus had to literally physically bleed out on the cross? Why, why, why was that the way? Well, there's a verse in the book of Hebrews that I want us to look at now. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, that will help explain that. In fact, it says, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And that seems a little gory and weird and macabre. And it's like, that's, I, I don't get, here, here's the thing. What is impure is made pure by the sacrifice of something or someone who is already pure. That's just the way it works. That's how sin is paid for. It's the way sin has always been paid for, and it's the only way that sin can be paid for. This is why Christ needed to do what he did. So the next question that we ask is, what happened when Christ did what he did? We're going to go back to a letter to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And Paul here in this verse makes a really powerful statement. And he said, God made him, talking about Jesus, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin, to literally become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, or through Christ's sacrifice, we could become righteous. We could be made right with God. But in order for that to happen, Jesus 
had to become, I mean, that he had to become sin. All sin. And this was a totally spiritual, mystical moment. But all sin was laid on him as he hung on the cross. It's important at this point to note that Jesus was not, in, in this act of giving his life, he was not a martyr who was giving his life for a cause he believes in. It's not what was happening there. He was not a martyr. He was a substitute. He was substitute. He was literally taking my place and taking your place. God, in his great love and mercy for us, knew that there was no way for us on our own to make up the difference in this falling short of his glorious standard. We had to be made pure by the shedding of blood of some thing or someone that was 100% pure. And that's why Jesus hung on the cross, shed his blood, and substitute. he took our place. We sang about it this morning, that song that Johnny led. He says, this is amazing grace. You bore my cross. You took my place. That's what happened when Jesus hung on the cross. When Jesus did what he did, he became our substitute. See, here's the thing about sin. If, if, if the sin had not been 100% laid on Jesus, if it had not been 100% burdened right onto Jesus, then some of it is still on me. If it wasn't being dealt with, my sin was not dealt with by Christ, then I have to dealt, deal with it and there is no hope. There is no hope. Christ became sin. He substituted. He is our substitute. He, he took the penalty for sin so that God could ransom us, that God could buy us back. That's what happened when Jesus did what he did, when Christ died on the cross. Now, I want to read you um, some, some verses here. Now, these verses are listed on your table talk notes. They're not going to be on the screen. But I just want to rapid fire here through this to give you this understanding. Now that we know that he had to die on the cross, he had to sh- shed his blood, and that it was a substitutionary deal, that he was doing it for us. And I just want to give you verse after verse of some powerful statements about what happened when Jesus did what he did. All right? So, here we go real quick. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring us safely home to God. To bring us safely home to God. Galatians chapter 1 verse 4. Jesus gave his life for our sins. Just as God the Father had planned it. In order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live in. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. He is so rich in kindness and grace. That he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son. 
and forgave our sins. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors, Adam and Eve. And it was not paid with mere gold and silver, which lose their value. It was paid with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless and spotless Lamb of God. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, Therefore Jesus is able, once and forever, to save all those who come to God through Him. No wonder we call Him Savior. You know what I'm saying? No wonder we sing like we sang that song. We sing them every Sunday. No wonder we do that. No wonder we listen to these songs throughout the week. No wonder we, we love. We, no wonder we worship because He took our place. And when we see a cross in our mind's eye, when we see the word, the cross, on the screen when we're worshiping, when we see a cross on the, you know, if we drive by it somewhere, on a church or on the wall, somebody's car, a, a necklace or earrings or bracelet, you know, this, the cross is what everything is about. It's all about the cross. He took my place on the cross. And you may have people that say, hey, this is just a nice piece of jewelry or I got my Jesus piece on. You know what? It means a lot more than that to me. It le- means a lot more to that than that to us who have been saved. We've been rescued. We were bought back by that cross. No wonder we call Him Savior. No wonder. And people think we're just church people and we do church things because that's what we do on Sundays before the football games or whatever. It's not that. We, we had a price to pay that we were literally unable to pay and God paid that ransom with the blood of His Son. No wonder. No wonder. Let's talk about talk about the cross let's talk about the resurrection you know the fact that jesus rose from the dead we celebrated on easter three days after uh being being killed on the cross giving his life on the cross there's this cool passage about the resurrection that i want to read you from first corinthians 15 we're kind of going back to that chapter verses 20 through 22 check this out it says but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, Adam is who he's talking about, now the, the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. We're talking about Jesus there. And check out verse 22. It says, just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam... Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Now, that's kind of an interesting... It says that we belong to Adam and and maybe hopefully, preferably, we belong to Christ. Uh, That phrase, belong to, is really talking about being being a part of that person uh, uh, in terms of a family. For instance, we belong to or we are a part of Adam's progeny, Adam's 
race because we're human. And he and Eve were the first humans. So we belong to him in that way. He doesn't own us, you know. But you understand what I'm saying. We are, we are descendants of Adam. So we belong to him, and so we're all going to die. Which is a bummer, and I'm sorry to remind everybody about that. But that's just how it works. We are all working towards death. All right? That's just the way it goes. But when we belong to Christ by placing our faith in him and in his sacrifice on the cross, when we become Christ's followers, when he becomes our leader and our forgiver, when we get saved, as the Bible calls it, we belong to him and now we are going to have eternal life because he was raised from the dead. He didn't stay dead. We will not stay dead spiritually speaking. We will live forever in eternity in heaven with him because Jesus was raised from the dead. That's what happened when Christ did what he did. And that's good news. Now there's one more thing, one more verse I want to talk to you about in the idea of what happened when Christ did what he did. It's found in Ephesians chapter, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16. This is talking about what we can do and what we can experience as Christ followers because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and the fact that he's risen from the dead. It's talking about how we can connect with God and how we can approach God. So in verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 4, it says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. It's saying that God is like the king. And so imagine that he is sitting on his throne. You know, God is the king over all things. And he's the king of our hearts if we follow Christ. And so he's saying, imagine approaching God as a citizen would approach their king. Like literally walking up to the throne to talk to the king. That's a cool picture. That's a cool idea of how it works or how God wants it to work. But it freaks me out. Straight up freaks me out, and here's why. It says that we're supposed to approach with a particular mindset and attitude. We're to be bold. We're to be confident when we walk and talk to the king. But it says we're to do that when we're in a time of need. All right? When we need something. When I am needy, when I need something, do you know how I don't feel? I don't feel confident. I don't feel bold when I'm needy. When I've got stuff going wrong and I need help, I don't feel bold. I feel stupid. I feel less than. I feel ashamed. And yet, this instruction from the Scripture is saying, in those times, come boldly into the throne room. I can't, that's hard for me. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around it. But here's what I'm learning. I'm learning that, there, that we're being told here to approach with boldness and confidence. Not because we're confident about the state that we're in, but because we're confident about the state that the king is in. The, the one who's sitting on the throne 
he's got it covered. You see, at any point in my life, on any day that you talk to me in the week or weeks ahead, I probably have a long list of stuff in my life that is broken and it is not working and I, and I hate it and it bothers me and it makes me afraid or it makes me ashamed or it makes me feel stupid or whatever. These are my needs, man, and I don't like having these needs. But what we're learning in the scripture is, is that God is like, no, bring the needs. And you don't have to be mousy about it either. And you don't have to act like... Because I'm sitting here going, I'm just glad to be a citizen of the kingdom. I wouldn't dare bring this crap to the king. I don't believe, why would I go to the throne room? I don't even belong in that room. Based on what's going on or not going on in my life. And yet the, the scripture is saying, come to the throne room. Come boldly. Come boldly. When I can't figure it out and I'm worried that, it'll, that things will never work out, I should come boldly. When I am ready to give up, I should come boldly. When I, when I am hanging on to something and I know I should let it go, but I just, I just can't. Man, I should come boldly. I'm not bold and cocky and happy and strutting because this stuff doesn't matter. I'm bold in knowing that there is no source on this earth that can help me. There's no hope for me other than in that throne room. So I come boldly. I come boldly because he sacrificed for me and he didn't bleed out on the cross for me to stay on the border, just on the back wall, and, and not bringing all my stuff to him. I come boldly. We come boldly because you've got to understand, the entire Christian religion is based on the idea of the weak coming to the str- one who is strong. This whole system is set up on the fact that those of us who don't have enough Come to the one who is enough. And we come boldly because he's enough. And we don't have to stay on the back wall. So I'm just saying that maybe one of the things today that the Lord wanted us to hear and think about is that for those of us who have walked with God and have had a faith journey, but maybe in your estimation right now there's some kind of distance you perceive and feel a distance between you and the lord maybe today the message is come boldly come on come home to the father because of what jesus has done and that blood that he shed that for, that cleansed your sins the very first time you ever prayed to god is the same sacrifice that makes it where you could come boldly today back home to the Father. That's good news. We can come boldly. Now, the last little question I want to pose, and I'm going to ask Michael to join me because we're kind of wrapping things up here, is, is the uh, question of uh, why did Jesus do what he did? 
I'm asking that why question in terms of motive. Like, what was the uh, what was his motivation in doing what he did in sacrificing himself and in offering this gift to us? And so much rides on whether we receive that gift or not. Our eternal destiny, our 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 quality of life in this world. All depends on, on whether we receive this gift. Why did he do that? He did, did he do it because he was mad at us? Did he do it because he wanted to impose some, you know, groove-breaking, you know, style-cramping thing on your life? Is he, is he angry? Is he just fed up and he just wants you to toe the line? And... No, he, he, he did it. Well, let's look at these verses. I want to read you a couple of verses. He did it because he loves us so much that he wants us to be fully alive and he wants to burn out anything in our lives that's keeping us from being fully alive. Two verses, or a couple of verses, three actually. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Ephesians chapter 2, 4 and 5. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And then the writer gives a little parenthetical reminder. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. I love the extravagant language here. It doesn't say God loved us and God has mercy. God showed his great love for us. He's rich in mercy. And he loves us so deeply. That's why he did what he did. One last thought that we will see on the screen in a moment. We pull it out of a, a verse in, in 1 Peter chapter 2. One phrase. It's just a really good reminder. It says, Christ suffered for you. Christ suffered for you. Christ suffered for me. He suffered for us. That's why he did it. It, it was for us. And today might be the day. For some of you who have been just kind of tiptoeing around the outside of the faith thing and kicking the tires a little bit, maybe just investigating the claims of Christ a bit. Maybe today's the day for you to say, I want to place my faith in Christ. And I want to trust that sacrifice he made for me to forgive my sins. That's what I want. Maybe that's in your heart. Maybe for you today, it's like we talked about a moment ago, where you're, you're tired of feeling that distance between you and the Lord. You're tired of feeling that weird feeling about that closet that's dysfunctional, that all that truth might be in there, but you're not sure you can handle it. And you're tired of being at arm's length. And maybe today you want to come home. You want to come back home. Let's pray together. Father, please hear our prayers and receive the cry of our hearts. Now, as our heads are bowed, I'm going to ask you, if you've 
never placed your faith in Christ for forgiveness of sins, today's a great day. Say this prayer after me. You can say it in your heart. You could whisper it out loud. You could just have it in your mind. But God sees our minds and hearts. But offer this prayer to the Lord. Say, Heavenly Father, I want the sacrifice of Christ to count for me. I want Jesus to be my leader and forgiver. Forgive my sins in Jesus' name. Perhaps today you feel like it's time to come back home. Pray this prayer with me. Lord, it's been too long. Lord, I've been away. Lord, I feel distant. Give me, give me the courage to approach you, to come back to you, to come to the throne. I want to come back home today. Father, we pour our hearts out to you. We need you. And we are absolutely blown away and astonished at your great gift of the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. In his name, amen.